The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com um, Alright, let's go ahead and turn to Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. While you're turning there, I just want to say thank you so much, members, for coming out, and thank you for everybody that contributed, and uh, we're going to uh, be moving forward and be doing something amazing So, uh, with uh, Rock Solid Church. So uh, just again, thank you so much. We want to continue to pray for our partnership, Central Baptist Church and Rock Solid. Uh, also be continuing to pray for our outreach ministry that we've been doing since September. We did a preliminary tracking count this last weekend and uh, found out that at this point right now, family, we have over 440,000 God and gospel presentations that we've made over, over, over social media. Guys, we're, we're, doing, we're doing an amazing thing. Uh, uh, responses comments that we've been getting, all that stuff. There's a lot of, a lot of good stuff. This isn't stuff you have to take. You don't have to take my word for it. Go to social media and go look at all the comments and look at everybody responding uh, and the, the good things that are being said about your pastor, the bad things that are being said about your pastor. We got a lot of the bad things, but you know, that's right. Just remember that uh, Jesus said it himself, right? The world hated him before he, it, the world hated us, right? So, uh, if the world hates you, you're in good company. Uh, Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. In an Oregon newspaper, there was an interesting story that was written about a church bulletin at a particular church in Oregon. And the title of the sermon of the bulletin was God Resigns. And it caused so much of a stir in the newspaper that the pastor finally had to call the newspaper and had to explain the situation, where the pastor responded to the newspaper saying that there was a typo- typographical error in the bulletin. It should have read, God reigns. <laughs> now, I bring that up because I want us to think just a little bit today. Think about it for a minute. In the church today... Does it not seem like we will sing with all of our hearts together that our God reigns, but then after we leave the church on Sunday, we live our lives believing more that our God resigned? Some people will think that, hey, you know what? God just no longer cares. God's left us. God does not bring us help, nor will he, because he just is not with us anymore. Some people will feel like God resigned. God resigned from our lives. God resigned from what it is that he's do, that, that he does. But maybe, maybe, this is what I think, maybe it's even worse than that. This is what I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm afraid that it's not an either or. Say, what do you think? You think it's God reigns or do you think God resigns? When I ask that question, I think many people in our culture today would much, would much rather say, does it matter? That's what I feel like maybe our country is more at right now, where we are. Does it matter? Because in the end, who really cares? Whether God reigns, God resigns, it makes no difference to me. Ah, maybe a little functional atheism. Maybe we talked about that a little bit. Maybe some of that. 
Or maybe it's, the, it's not that God resigned. It's not that God reigned. The reality is I rule. I decide what's right and wrong for me. I decide what's right and wrong for my life. I make those decisions. You know what? And, and it would be nice if God helped me out. But in the end, if he doesn't help me, it doesn't matter because I'm the one that's in charge. <laughs> if you're going to help me, God, great. But if not, just stay out of my way. Maybe that's more our culture today. Makes no difference. Because maybe in life, what it seems like is it seems like for the church, we're being overwhelmed by the culture, by the world. So much that we're being tempted. I mean, there's so much temptation, so much compromise, so much transgression, so much assimilation because of our toleration. And the sound of the voice of the world just seems so much louder than the voice of God. It seems so much clearer than the voice of God. So much more that the voice of the world is drowning out the voice that really matters. The message of the world we initially reject, you know, the first time, you know, this is the thing that's really interesting, right? The first time the whole thing about, you know, accepting the acceptance of transgenderism and all of those types of things, and we're talking about what, the last maybe four years that happened? At first, you know, the church is just like, whoa, wait a minute. We, we know what this is all about. We got our stance. Everything is clear. Now, all of a sudden, here we are four years later, and the church is deciding whether we've got it right or not. Why are we doing this? Why is this happening? Why does this happen? The things that we tolerate today are things that we would have never have tolerated 10 years ago. Come on. No way we would have tolerated the stuff that we're tolerating in the church today. Just think of your, 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 great, your great grand, grandparents. We don't even have to go back that far. I just think about my grandmother. My grandmother would see the church and what the church is doing today. She'd have died early. <laughs> she, she's probably rolling over in her grave right now. Well, she, I mean, technically not, but you know what I'm saying. That's what we say in Texas. You roll over in your grave. A question. None of this stuff would have been a question. And I kind of keep wondering why. And I keep saying that it's because the voice of the world is drowning out the voice that really matters. Now, come on, Shane. Like, seriously, are you going to tell me that that's the reason why? Is because the message of the world is just getting out, getting out, getting out? Does that really work? I remember in the 90s, I'm dating myself here. In the 90s, there was this band this music band that came out, and I absolutely despise them. First song I heard of them, I was just like, ew, no, 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 no. I absolutely despise this band. I heard of them the first time and thought they were awful. I could not stand them. I just did not like them. But man, they were on the radio. They were on TV. My friends were playing their music in their car. My girlfriend at the time, it wasn't Janine, because Janine hated this band too. I think she actually still hates the band to this day. She kept singing these songs to me. 
And they were on David Letterman. They were on Jay Leno. Man, they were playing. They started playing these band. This band was playing at sporting events. The lead singer was singing the national anthem. And then it became a matter of principle for me where it wasn't like, it was just like, you know what? I dug my heels in and I just said, I will not like this band. I will not like this music. And I started to force myself to hate them, force myself to change the station and the channel. Didn't matter what was on. If they were on, I was going to change the station until they were done. And then he checked to see if they're done. They're still playing. So you turn this channel again. Then you check to see if they're still playing. And then you turn this channel. Then they're not playing. Then you leave the channel on. But then two songs later, they're playing again. I was like, no way, man, no way. I will not like them. Not going to happen. No, 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 no. I'm sitting in the restaurant at Applebee's eating my food and the band is playing. No, no, no. I will not like this band. And you know what happened? Then one day, I'm sitting on my couch and for no reason at all, I start singing, you and me, we come from different worlds. You like to laugh at me when I look at other girls. Sometimes you're crazy and you wonder why. I'm such a baby when the dolphin made me cry. But there's nothing I can do. Everybody, I only want to be with you. I went out that day and bought their CD. And then I bought every CD that came after. And to this day, I listen to Darius Rucker's solo stuff. And I am a big fan of Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> family, family. I refused to like this band. Now I am, I am not ashamed. I will tell you, I am a fan of Hootie and the Blowfish. Why? Because, man, this band was pushed on everything. No matter what, that music was just getting put in my head. No matter where I went, no matter where I was, Hootie and the Blowfish, Pope Blowfish, even my family, don't even listen to the man. If I say the name, Hootie and the Blowfish, they knew. They knew. Why? Because it was just getting pounded in everybody's head. Family, don't think for one minute do not think for one minute that we are impervious to the constant bombardment of the message and philosophy and ideology of this world, that we are impervious to it. Impervious to it. Don't think for one minute that we are. Because the next thing we know, we're going to be sitting there going, you know what? Maybe it's okay. Maybe it is biblical for us to be non-binary. Maybe it's all right. It seems like it doesn't bother anybody. So maybe that's okay. Maybe there's male, there's female, and there's they. Maybe there's it. Maybe we're sitting there going, maybe this is okay. The hours and hours that we spend watching Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Spotify, social media, the hours and weekends and days that we spend watching and being entertained by all this stuff, and we spent in the last week maybe 15 minutes in the Bible. And we think we're okay? 
We're think, we think we're going to be okay? No, family, the reality is, is that the voice of the world is going to take over. It's going to take over. Family, just, we, me and my family, we, one of the things that we do when it comes to entertainment today is we like to, uh, we like to watch uh, movies. And when we watch movies, what we like to do is we like to analyze the movies to try to find what is the message that they're trying to communicate to us. Put that within one of the postmodern ideologies and philosophies of our world to see which agenda they're pushing and how it stands up against Scripture. If you guys want some help with this, my son has got a video, a YouTube video that he's put out now. Yeah, it's really good where he's starting to do the Siskel and Ebert thing where he's, he's analyzing all these movies and he's talking about the philosophies of the world and all that kind of stuff, doing all this, this, these things. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting. There is an agenda in everything. There is an agenda in everything. There isn't one movie that we've seen that we've watched where we're just, even, and I hate to say this, but even Christian movies today has a secular agenda in it. Did you know that? If you watch carefully, there's an agenda in it. Ooh, there's agendas. There's agendas. Absolutely, there's agendas. And not really good ones. The voice of the world will take over. So if we're surrounding ourselves with 10 hours worth of this kind of stuff and we only spend 15 minutes reading the word of God, no wonder we're in the situation that we're in. How? How are we supposed to fight that? And now we find ourselves that we're not fully satisfied with Christ. Did you know this? If you are not fully satisfied in Christ, our hearts will always be restless and idolatrous. Always be. If we're not fully. So we will continue to look for love in all the wrong places. Discouraged today? Many Christians are really discouraged today. And we're losing perspective. We're losing sight on what is really and truly important as Christians today. Yep, today many people feel like the people of God did during the time of Haggai's preaching. A small nation trying to build a temple under horrible persecution. Not much resources, not much of an army, under economic duress and under subjection and will probably always be under subjection to other nations. Does our God reign or has he resigned? Haggai preaches to those losing heart. Haggai chapter 2 verses 20 to 23. On that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots. I will overturn their riders. The horses will fail and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the nature of God shaking the universe. 
and what it means for his people. And the second thing we're going to look at is the significance of the signet ring and what the future holds in Christ. Our thesis statement today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to doubt the workings of God in our world and in our lives, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to see that our God reigns in a kingdom that can never be shaken. So point number one, the shaking. Cosmic language to show the miraculous work of God. This is all throughout Scripture. Not to get all seminary on you guys, on you family, okay? But we've got to understand that the Bible uses cosmic language to describe the miraculous work of God. And in the end, we see that the fulfillment actually is by something earthly. This is super amazing. It's like God will say in in this word of God that the stars are coming down. The stars will fall. The moon will be darkened. The sun will explode. Pluto will explode. They didn't say Pluto, but you know, all this cosmic language, the earth will shake. The heavens, there'll be an earthquake, a shattering in the heavens. All of this type, it would say all these things. And then what happens? The armies of Egypt come into Edom and take over. See, and and I hope, family, that this helps us. This is what, the Bible does. This is how God describes these types of things, right? They use cosmic language in Isaiah and Ezekiel to describe the coming of God, that God was going to bring his hand against the Israelites. And in all actuality, what happened? The Babylonians came and took over. This is why we've got to be careful when it comes to this kind of language, when it comes to the Bible, especially when it comes to end time stuff, right? Because what's supposed to happen in the end time? The sun is darkened, the moon is turned to blood, the earth will shatter, the earthquake, all of these types of things. And every time the Bible described that, an army came in to destroy. So we're looking for literal fulfillments of the cosmic language that God is using and the people are using to describe these events. But the reality is is that this is just the figurative language that God uses to describe judgment that's coming. Okay, so instead of looking at the moon and looking at the sun and all of these types of things, we should be looking at the nations around us. (laughs) This is what's happening here. This is how we're seeing these types of things. And that's why I feel like a lot of times, you know, in Matthew, if we understand the cosmic language that we see in Matthew when Jesus is doing the, the, um, not the Sermon on the Mount, the, why does that, Matthew 24, 25, what is that? The Olivet Discourse, right? He's talking about the end times and all that stuff, the sun being darkened and all that kind of stuff. Well, if we look at that, what happened after that? Judgment came on Israel in the form of what? An army. This time the army was called Rome. Wow, helps, helps. Okay, that's just a little side thing, just helping you out. Cosmic language here is being shown to show the miraculous work of God. Hey, Zerubbabel, be encouraged. I know you are all discouraged, but I'm going to share something with you. Mr. Governor of the people of God, listen up. I am going to shake up the heavens and the earth. Now, essentially, when you see in the Bible this Hebrew rendering of heaven and earth, that's their way of describing what today we would say the universe there isn't a Hebrew word for the word universe. Okay, so, you know, I'd say, you know, we're the greatest, the greatest band in all the universe. You know, if I were to say the whole, the, that Hootie and the Blowfish is the greatest band in all the universe. You know, like uh, the world champions, you know, all this, you know. You know so in order, they're essentially saying the universe, like everything. That's, so the rendering that you get for that is heavens 
and the earth. You are going to see my miraculous hand at work in the world. You will see my ordering of the world in accordance to my will and to fulfill the promises I am making to you. So listen to what I'm saying here. It does not matter what you see as your current state. It doesn't matter how powerful and how strong the nations are surrounding you. It doesn't matter how strong they are. It does not matter what it looks like your future holds. You be encouraged, Israel. You be encouraged, Judah. I will shake and you know what happens when I shake. We know that at this time, in time in history, in biblical history at this time, they knew what happened. You know what happens when God shakes. Yes, you know what happens when God shakes because he has done this kind of work before. He's done it before. He can do it again. Wow. Listen to what the Lord is saying here. You know what happens. I'm going to shake the earth, and you know what happens when I shake the earth. Oh, you don't know what happens when I shake the earth? Why don't you ask some of the people from Sodom and Gomorrah what happens when I shake the earth? You know what I did to the Canaanite nation with my people. You know what we did to Jericho. So you know what happens when I shake the heavens and the earth. You know, he talks about here that he's going to overturn riders and he's going to overturn chariots. That would bring to mind something. What do you think that would bring to mind? The time where Pharaoh and his chariots and his army was chasing the Israelites and the Red Sea came down and all of the chariots and their riders were overthrown, swallowed up by the great sea. And you saw when Gideon fought the, Mis- the Midianites. You remember with the Midianites, when the Midianites, when they were fighting the Midianites, that the Midianites were thrown into confusion and they began to fight with each other and they began to kill each other. Same thing happened when Saul fought the Philistines. They were thrown into confusion and they began to kill each other. So you see, this is what the Lord is saying to Haggai. Haggai is relaying this message to Zerubbabel, and he's using cosmic language to show that there is going to be a shaking up. You guys are discouraged. You guys are not feeling good. You guys are not feeling good like, you know, things are happening. You you lost your identity. You're just a small nation. You don't even really have an army. If if a nation comes, you guys are in trouble. And you're building this puny, bricky little, little temple. You know, you're building all this stuff. Yes, I see that you are discouraged. But I am telling you that I am going to shake the nations. And you know better than any other person, any other nation in this world, you know better. You know what will happen when I shake the nations. Nothing impervious. Nothing. Every power, every nation. It does not matter how great, it does not matter how awesome the nation is. For many, during the time of the Roman Empire, people probably thought that the Roman Empire was forever. The Roman Empire was awesome. The Roman Empire would never go away. And guess what? We don't go to Rome to give tribute to the emperor. We go to Rome to get some good spaghetti and meatballs. I don't know. Was that racist? I'm just worried about stuff. Anyway, everything's racist now, right? So I didn't mean it to be racist. 
They got good shrimp there too. Where is Egypt? What happened to Egypt? What happened to Assyria? How about Babylon? What about Babylon? What about Persia? What about Greece? What about Rome? What about Mongolia? What about the Ottoman Empire? What about the British? He's shown us before, family, and he will show us again. Nothing, no nothing, no nation is able to withstand the power of the shaking of the living God. We have seen this unfolding throughout all of history. God has shaken the earth and will continue to shake nations and kingdoms, even our own nation. You better believe that God can shake up the U.S. if he wants to. Some people will say that God's shaking up the U.S. right now. All but Shane, the U.S., the military might. The military might of the U.S. Come on. Nothing can overthrow the U.S. You know what happened to Rome? Rome didn't get beat by exterior forces at first. Rome fractured inside first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. See, we we think that it's funny, and we think that this is some kind of game in our country today, that the fracturing and the division, all the stuff that's happening within our country, and we think that this makes us stronger. Uh, God will, will judge and shake our nation, just like he's sh- shaken nations all over the world for all time. And God will even shake kingdoms. God will even shake your kingdom. Wait, what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're talking about nations, Shane. You're talking about kingdoms, Shane. What do you mean pointing your finger at me and talking about my kingdom? Yeah, I'm talking about your kingdom. I'm talking about you. Kevin Ball, in his own country, the Republic of Masalia. Kevin, in his own, has his own country. The kingdom, or the Republic, or the kingdom of Masalia. And if you don't mind, he prefers you call him His Excellency Kevin Ball. After all, he has an impressive khaki uniform with six big medals, a gold braid, and a blue, white, and green sash. Oh, and a general's cap with a gold starburst over the bill. Never heard of the Republic of Mausolea? That's understandable. Because it consists of Ball's three-bedroom house and 1.3-acre yard outside of Dayton, Nevada. According to this article in the Chicago Tribune, he has a space program in his nation. He calls it his model rocket. He has a currency that's pegged to the value of chocolate chip cookie dough. He had a railroad, a model-sized one, a national sport. He refers to it as broom ball. And in his landlocked desert region, he has a navy. It's his inflatable boat. The newspaper goes on to say that Ba is a 45-year-old father of two. He's a micro-nationalist 
one of a wacky band of do-it-yourself nation builders who's ra who raise flags over their front yards and declare their property to be, as Baal puts it, the kingdom of me. It's not just him. It's everywhere. The kingdom of me. Now, for Baal, it's a, it's a fun joke, but he's joking about what all humans really want to do for ourselves. We have a kingdom of me. How many times in our lives, in our walk, do we declare God to be King of kings and Lord of lords over our lives, but then Monday morning we wake up and we sit on the throne ourselves, deciding what's right and wrong for ourselves, deciding what's wrong, right and wrong for me, deciding what's right and wrong for my house, deciding what's right and wrong for my family. Sin, simply by living our own law, by our own laws instead of living God's, is regarding ourselves in quiet ways as his excellency or her majesty. Kingdom. And this is how many of us in the culture today, in our current culture and even within the church, this is how we're trying to lead our lives. And many of us think that God has resigned. God has resigned his post. And since the cat is away, the mice is going to play. And we're going to play. Play we do and doing and we're still doing. And many of us in our culture, in our world, and even in the church, we are living life as if God is absent and that he is not going to do anything to us. That the quiet sins that we do, the th sins that we know of but everybody else doesn't know of, the things that we've done, the things that we do, the things that we plan, the things that we have in the future, we think all of these things are there and we think God's not going to do something about it? Hmm. We live our lives as if there's not going to be any shaking in the world. There's not going to be any shaking in the end. Let me think about it. Think about it. I mean, I, I, just, I just wonder sometimes when it comes to the body of Christ and it comes to the church, I wonder what we actually believe about judgment. I mean, seriously. I mean, I listen, I listen to some of the, the sermons you know, I, I, I tend to do that. My, my, friends, my friends will refer to it as me dumpster diving. You know, oh, Shane's dumpster diving again, listening to sermons by some of these questionable preachers and all that stuff. And I hear some of the stuff. You know, and, I, and, I, and I tell you about some of the stuff that they do and some of the stuff that they've done. And, and that's my question that I ask, and I'm listening to the sermon. I'm going, I don't know if you actually believe that there's a judgment that's coming. Because... If you did, I don't think that you would be telling the people of God what you just did. I mean, it was, it was really bizarre. It was almost like he was saying, essentially, like, look, you, you, uh, you know, yeah, and some of you don't have any money. You know, we're in a recession right now and all this kind of stuff. But, but I got bills that I got to pay in my ministry. You know, I got, uh, you know, private jets that I need to buy new Armani suits that I need. So I know that you guys don't have a lot of money, but God is telling you that you need to offer and give money to the ministry today so that I can pay my bills. Well, what about our bills? Some of you say, well, what about your bills? Well, do you trust God for that? <laughs> and I'm sitting there listening to this going, 
this has got to be a joke, right? Like, this has got to be a joke. But he was serious. Why, why would you do this to God's children? The God's children we're talking about here. You can't believe that there's a judgment coming. Deep down inside, I bet you don't even really believe that there is a God. Because if you did, you would be shaking in your boots for doing what you just did. I wonder what it is that we believe about these types of things and the stuff that's going on. What do we really believe? Thinking that God's not going to do anything? Thinking that there's not going to be any consequence to this? There's not going to be any problems? There's not going to be any retribution? That God's not going to shake us up? Man. And what we're throwing away and how we live as Christians today. And I, tell, I tell people, I think more and more every single year, I kid you not, we are all becoming more and more like Esau. Oh, Shane, what do you mean by becoming more and more like Esau? Yeah, we're willing to trade away our birthright for a bowl of stew. Just for a moment, just for a time, just for 10 to 12 years of happiness, we're willing to sacrifice eternity for that moment. Why are we doing that? Why do we do this? What is it that we don't believe? What is it that's wrong with us now? Why are we willing to sacrifice this much? Why are we willing to walk in this way? Why are we willing to do this and walk in this manner? What are we willing to throw away for a moment? Seriously, it's just for a moment. We're talking about a moment here. Me and Charlie, we're talking. Where's Charlie? There's Spider-Man over there. Yeah. His glasses. He, just, he looks like Spider-Man. Um, we're talking to Charlie, and we were talking about, you know, the contract, right? And we're talking about, and we, we said, and I don't know if this is a Texas thing, but five years is going to go like that, right? Doesn't time fly? Right? That's what we say all the time, right? Time flies. I mean, I just think it was just yesterday I'm holding Scott as a little baby. Now the dude's driving to work every morning. And it just seemed like it was just yesterday. So this is the point I'm trying to make. Do you know that Lazarus was raised from the dead, wasn't he? That there are people that were healed from diseases. There were miracles that, Jesus, that happened with Jesus. There were people that were healed by the hand of the disciples, healed by the hand of the apostles. There were healings and things that happened all over the Bible. Even Hezekiah, right? Healings happened, all this stuff. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Do you know what happened to Lazarus? He died again. Every single person that Jesus healed is dead right now. For what? You see my point? What are we trading? What are we trading our training for? What are we trading our blessings for? This is going on and on in our culture. Many of us think that God has resigned and since the cat's away, the mice is going to be, we can do whatever it is that we want to do. Sacrifice whatever it is. But let me tell you something here today that we've got to know and we've got to understand. God busted up the superpowers in the world. You better believe that he will crush our little kingdoms. He will break those things apart. Ask Habakkuk if God will do nothing. 
You better believe he will destroy kingdoms that will not conform to his ultimate will and that he has revealed his will in the scriptures. Nothing, and that includes our own personal kingdoms, it includes our own personal rules and our laws, our own personal wantings and wanderings, our own personal idolatry. Nothing can withstand his shaking. All nations, all kingdoms will fall before the Lord. All nations, all kingdoms, even our personal kingdom will all fall when he shakes it. All fall when he shakes. All of them, except one. Point number two, the unshakable. Point number two, a kingdom that can't be shaken. Ooh. In the last part of the book of Haggai, he shows the Lord encouraging Zerubbabel and telling him that he is the chosen one, that he will make him like a signet ring. Now, we've seen this in movies and stuff like that, the ring of the king, the symbol of his authority, the seal. So he writes a letter, the letter is written, the envelope is done, they take the candle, they burn the wax, and they seal it. And when they put the wax on the envelope, he takes his ring and he seals it. It's the signet ring. It's a symbol of his authority, the seal, the seal that he uses on his letters, his proclamation, his seal, his guarantee. And it's so precious that the king will always wear it on his hand, or if it's not on his hand, it's going to be on a chain around his neck is what history will say. It was the symbol of his promise. It was the symbol of his guarantee. Zerubbabel was God's guarantee. Oh, but wait, Shane, was not the signet ring ripped off of the hand of God when they went into captivity. Wait a minute. God ripped off the signet ring. Yeah, he did. Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 to 25. Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 to 25. As surely as I live, says the Lord, I will abandon you, Jehoiakim. I hate saying that guy's name. Son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Even if you were the signet ring on my hand, I would pull it off and I will hand you over to those who seek to kill you, those who so desperately fear to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and the mighty Babylonian army. Judah was ripped off of God's hand. What in the world? You see how precious Judah was to God? God ripped Judah off his hand and he gave his ring to Nebuchadnezzar. This is how bad it got in Judah. So bad. God had to put a stop to this. And here it was essentially saying that the kingly line of Judah is destroyed. And, there's the grand, and, and here's the thing, what's awesome about this whole thing, we see that the, the line was destroyed, but here's Zerubbabel. Do you know Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jehoiachin? The grandson. And amazingly, he's putting the ring back on. God is restoring. That's why this would be huge. They knew that the signet ring got ripped off. And then God is displaying this. And God says, hey, and Zerubbabel, I am with you. You are the chosen one. I am going to make you like my signet ring. To the people of Israel, that would have been like, oh, my Lord, there it is. God has restored us. Now, today, we read this stuff, and it's not as impacting. But to them, this would have been huge. God tore us off his hand. And he just promised us and just told us that he's putting us back on. He's letting us back in the door. He's saying that we're his people again. 
that as horrible and awful as we were, so bad that God had that God had to rip us off, He's putting it back on. And Zerubbabel, the restoration of the line of David. But something that we got to address here: How could this be, Candace? How could this be? How in the world could this be? Because here's the thing. After we read this about Zerubbabel, we never hear anything about him again. Do you notice that? After this, we don't hear anything about Zerubbabel. It's almost as if he fell off the face of the earth. God makes this promise and we hear nothing. Does Zerubbabel ever become king? Not that we know of. It's like he just disappeared. So how in the world was this promise of God fulfilled to Zerubbabel? It happened for Zerubbabel. It happened for Zerubbabel when he had a son. His, his son's name, Abiad. Zerubbabel had a son. Having a son did it. Shane, how in the world is having a son fulfilling this grand prophecy and this grand promise that God made. Having a son fulfilled all of this. How in the world does having a son fulfill the signet ring? He promised that he was going to make him his signet ring. How in the world was he going to do the universe shaking stuff? All the stuff that he did. You don't hear anything about Zerubbabel after that. How in the world does God fulfill that? He had a son. Why is that significant? Because Matthew chapter 1 Starting at verse 12. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 12. You want to see how awesome this is? Why having a son fulfills all of this? Because after the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad. Abiad was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah. This is how it got fulfilled. This is how it happened. Zerubbabel. In the line of David was an ancestor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It all comes to fruition with the coming of Christ. All of heaven and earth was shaken when all the authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. Kingdoms toppled because of the King of Kings, because the King of Kings has come. Yes, we can be in the room. You remember I gave this illustration before. We could be in the room with the greatest presidents and leaders of our country and kings and queens of the kingdoms all over the world. You know, people that when we say, we, you know, you know, your majesty, your majesty, people that we've got to bow to, all of that kind of stuff. But when Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, walks into the room, everybody bows. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, the whole world was shaken. All principalities and powers, every ruler, it was all shaken when Jesus came into the world. 
He is the king, and he is the king of the kingdom that will never be shaken. Is it not amazing? All the nations in the world will be shaken. All the nations in the world has been shaken. And all the nations, throughout all the scriptures. And how awesome is it that we should hear something awesome in the word of the Lord, the word of the living God, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 to 29. God's always talking about shaking up kingdoms. And here we have, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Wow. You see this? The kingdom that we are a part of, family. This kingdom cannot be shaken. A kingdom that's unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. How amazing is that? A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And the king of kings who have all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And we think he resigned? Have we lost our minds? I mean, you think about everything that took place when Christ came. Everything that was done. Everything that happened. The huge shaking that took place. And we think God is absent? We think God has resigned? We think God is not involved in our current affairs today? <laughs> he, he reigns now. He will reign forevermore. It will not be shaken because it will not need to be shaken. And we have the privilege of being a child of God. And did you know that if today you are a child of God, it means you are an heir to this kingdom that cannot be shaken? Oh, yeah. But we would rather invest our resources, our life, our pleasure, our energy, everything that we have, we'd rather invest that in our personal little kingdom. These little kingdoms, this is what we want to do. No. We want to store treasure here on earth rather than storing treasure up in heaven where, with our kingdom that cannot be shaken. <laughs> have we lost our minds? You know what the reality is? The reality is that the influence of our world and the influence of our culture has tainted. It has darkened our minds to where we doubt his reign and we fall into the I don't care reality. This is the reality of the flesh, the reality of sin, the reality of the effects of sin. And sin in the pattern of this world causes us to doubt the truth and promises of God. Sin in the pattern of this world leads us down the path of destruction. It leads us to the path that is wise, the path straight to the judgment of God. But today we are reminded of the great salvation that we have from the Lord, the kingdom that cannot be shaken, the signet ring, our guarantee, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything. He has everything. He is everything. He is our everything. So you know what that means, family? That means that we as Christians should be overflowing in satisfaction right now. Think about it. Oh, come on, Shane. Are you saying right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could have that right now. No, 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 but Shane, right now, you know, you know we're, we're, we're in our earth time, you know, we got to put our time in, you know, we're, we're doing the earth thing, and then when, you know, we'll get all that stuff when we get to heaven. No, 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 right now. Wait a minute, are you saying 
Like we have full satisfaction right now as we speak? Absolutely. Because let me ask you a question. When we go to heaven, is Jesus going to be more our king then than he is now? No. Am I going to be more of a citizen of heaven when I get there than I am right now? Are you guys seeing what I'm saying? There's so much that's not going to change when we get to heaven. He's still my God. Is he going to be more my God now than he is, than, than, uh, than it is? Is he more my God then than he is now? No. Am I going to experience the love of Christ more then than I feel now, that I have now? No. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. We've got so much of Christ now that we shouldn't be unsatisfied Christians. We should be Christians overflowing in satisfaction with our God. And that all leads me to saying this one last thing, which goes against my better judgment. This is why when people ask me about the revival that's happening, well, Shane, do you think that it's, do you think that it's good or do you think that it's bad? You know what my response has been this whole week? It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Because if all that stuff is happening over there and we miss out, it doesn't change anything. God's not going to love me more whether I'm revived or not. The responsibility I have for God isn't going to change whether I'm revived or not. The work that we have to all have to do, none of that changes. I still got to do it whether I'm revived or not. If this is something that's happening, then bless you guys, man. Awesome. Awesome. But none of that compares to the importance of the word of God that we have, all of us have right here, right now. And the Bible tells us that we have everything that we need. We've got it all. We should be having it. So great. If, like I said, if revival happens, great. But if it doesn't, great. We are still co-heirs of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And my brother is the signet ring of God, the guarantee of all of God's promises that I get to partake of. That when I go to heaven, whether I was revived or not, I am still a king. You are still a king and queen of the kingdom of heaven. And that's not going to change. See, what happens is when God stirs up a people somewhere, it stirs up stuff in us. That's what happens. We start to feel like we're not satisfied where we are. I'm not satisfied here. I'm looking over the fence at the greener grass on the other side. So maybe I should go be a part of it. Or maybe we want to be quick to condemn it. Condemn it so I don't have to deal with my own issues and my insufficiencies in myself. Because as long as it's not happening, 
I don't have to worry about what I could potentially be missing out on because I'm not satisfied with Christ myself. You see, why are we doing that? Why are we like that? We are like that because of sin. Because of sin and the pattern of this world causes us to doubt the goodness of God. Causes us to doubt. And it causes us to doubt the truth that our Lord came to seek and save that which was lost. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He personally carried our sins in his, in his body on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Doesn't sound like we're lacking anything, does it? Family, nothing. We're not lacking in anything. The promises with our signet ring guarantee, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continues. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation. <laughs> you know, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, do you know what he also did to us? He glorified us. Do you know that that's past present? Some way, somehow, it already happened. Some way, somehow, we are holy already. And we walk around unsatisfied. Man, he's given us everything. We have so much more. What an awesome group of promises. All guaranteed, the signet ring, all guaranteed. Our resurrected Lord in his resurrected body is our signet ring king. He is our guarantee. He is the king of the kingdom that will never, ever be shaken. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.